The upcoming schedule is a bear. Just remember, Brock Nelson was born in 1991 in Minnesota. Hey, the fisherman's back. Every time the Islanders give up an empty netter, uh, my daughter texts me uh, on deadline, I should mention. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode 149. Are those alarm bells we're hearing? Hi, I'm Andrew Gross of Newsday. I'm still on Twitter at A Gross Newsday. You can find me at that dress on Instagram as well. And on this episode, I'll play you my discussion with two members of Adidas Hockey, Senior Director Dan Neer and Design Director Maddie Merrill who were instrumental in the design and implementation of the Islanders' reverse retro fisherman jersey, which makes its on-ice debut this Saturday against the Hurricanes at UBS Arena. The team will wear the what's old is what's new sweater six times this season at UBS, the other dates being December 23rd against the Panthers, December 27th against the Penguins, January 12th against the Wild, January 21st against the Hurricanes again, and January 28th against Vegas. And uh, first, let's start off here with a short clip of Brock Nelson with his thoughts on the born-again fisherman. I sort of feel like I have to I have to say this caveat, but just remember Brock Nelson was born in 1991 in Minnesota, so he had absolutely no connection to the craziness that surrounded the rollout of the original Fisherman design or redesign in 1995. I love them. I think they're awesome. I think it's uh, a good mix, and I think it's uh, a nice touch. You get like that, that dark blue and then a little bit of teal. I think it's uh, a pretty clean look. Um, so I'm excited. I, I got a couple for the kids right away when I saw them. Yeah. I think uh, most of the guys in the room think they're, they're pretty cool and unique and uh, looking forward to wearing them. Anyway, we'll get back to the reverse retro theme in just a few minutes. First, though, let's talk about the stuff that really matters, the on-ice product. How are we feeling? Granted, I, I get there's always a pendulum swing to that question based on recency bias, and the, and the most recent result was a really bad 7-4 loss to the Blues on Tuesday at UBS Arena that concluded a, a, a disappointing 1-2-0 homestand. The other loss being a 4-1 defeat to Nashville, which, like the Blues, uh, the Blues who snapped a four-game losing streak at the expense of the Islanders, neither the Blues nor Nashville are currently in a playoff position. Uh, both final scores were ballooned by two empty net goals in the final minutes. Uh, and this is all not to mention, but we are mentioning, the 3-1 loss in Philadelphia, again, uh, an empty netter uh, making it 3-1, uh, against a Flyers team that really may struggle to get to 70 points this season. And <laughs> as an aside here on the subject of empty net goals, my younger daughter, uh, who watches every Islander game that she can, adamantly, adamantly believes pulling the goalie for an extra skater never, ever works. And certainly the Islanders seem to have proven her right over the last few games. 
I mean, I've tried to debate her on the subject because we've all seen the six-on-five goals that, that lead to overtime. And I, I bring it up because every time the Islanders give up an empty netter, uh, my daughter texts me uh, on deadline, I should mention, uh, of course, uh, and she texts me in all caps the same message, empty nets do not work. And uh, uh, for my daughter, she's graduating uh, from college this weekend, uh, December graduation. So I will not be at Saturday's game against the Hurricanes. Great congratulations to her, but I, I do think empty nets do work at a certain time here. Uh, back to crying the blues here. Uh, the Islanders were, in, again, incredibly leaky defensively against the Blues. There were a couple of two-on-one chances against that led to goals, and, and both, I should mention, against the Alexander Romanov and Scott Mayfield pairing. Uh, both times, Mayfield seemed to be caught up ice a little bit. Romanov uh, was back defending, but he was not able to cut off the feeds for the goals. It, it sort of seemed like he defended in no man's land, and uh, Mayfield was a minus four, in the game against the Blues, Romanov was a minus three, though Coach Lane Lambert said after the game he did not consider splitting them up during the loss. And, and further, as we're talking uh, about defensemen, uh, a woozy Adam Pellick left Tuesday's game at 4.05, and at least he certainly appeared woozy. Um, he left at 4.05 of the third period after being driven into the backboards by Blues defenseman Robert Bortuzzo. Um, Bortuzzo receiving a boarding minor there. And if Pellick misses time with a head injury, and again, uh, the Islanders uh, are not classifying it as such, but, but say Pellick does miss time, uh, with a head injury because that certainly looked to be what happened. Uh, Lane Lambert would not address the subject after the game. There was no immediate update on Pellick. There was no listing even uh, when, when Lambert was asked whether this was an upper or a lower body injury. Uh, frankly, that seems a little bit silly since everyone watching the game uh, saw what happened. But uh, I, I digress there. If if Pellick misses time, you would think that means Robin Salo, uh, also a lefty like Pellick, uh, goes back into the lineup. But now your three lefties uh, amongst the six defensemen would be Romanov, Sebastian Ajo, and Robin Salo. And they've all, you know, they all have their strengths, certainly. Um, Romanov has come as advertised in terms of laying out hits and uh, big hits. Uh, Sebastian Ajo has certainly cut down on his giveaways and, and turnovers this season um, to where he can be in an NHL lineup uh, on a nightly or a game-by-game -game basis. Robin Salo had two goals in his first four uh, games uh, this season uh, before Ajo supplanted him in the lineup. He's got good offensive instincts. None of those three have proven that they can be the kind of shutdown defenseman that Adam Pellick, when he's playing at his best, and, and that hasn't always been the case this season. When, when Adam Pellick is playing at his best, though, he is a, a shutdown defenseman. He, he, Pellick has got the best stick 
on the team. Um, so if he is out, obviously that that's not good for the Islanders. Yeah, we all saw what happened that year uh, when, when Pellick went down uh, in January with the Achilles heel that led to the uh, Andy Green uh, acquisition. Um, and then, of course, because of the uh, the COVID-19 shutdown, uh, how that ended the regular season, Pellick was able to come back and play in the playoff bubble. But at the time of his injury, that was supposed to be a season-ending injury. And, and before acquiring Andy Green, who at the time sort of did steady out the uh the six, the the six defensemen. Uh, the Islanders were were a little bit lost once uh, Pellick went out. They they really really missed him. And I think if Pellick is out for any length of time here, that will also obviously be the case. Um, that's the worst case scenario, of course. And Pellick may have cleared concussion spotting during the game against speculating, but just didn't return because the game was a lost cause by the time he was ready. Again, we don't know. The Islanders won't say. We'll see if Adam Pellick is in the lineup for Friday night's game in Newark against the Metropolitan Division leading Devils. By the way, Kyle Palmieri still remains out, though. He has started skating on his own after what, you know, we could also speculate may have been a head injury suffered in Toronto. Uh, the Islanders did place Palmieri on injured reserve with an upper body designation. He's missed seven games as of this recording. Fellow right wing Cal Clutterbuck, who uh, missed, uh, who he has missed three games as we speak with an upper body issue. He did participate in the morning skate before the Blues game on Tuesday. I suspect that's a precursor to him being able to rejoin the lineup quite possibly as soon as the Devils game on Friday. Um, But here's something I'll throw out. Um, Who comes out for Clutterbuck? Hudson Fashing uh, called up from Bridgeport, got his first goal in his second game with the Islanders. And and by the way, that was Hudson's... uh, 40th career game, I believe. He scored a NHL goal in his NHL debut uh, for the Sabres. I believe that was 2016. And now 39 games later, uh, two teams later, because he also played for the Coyotes, uh, he gets his second goal for the Islanders. Uh, the, the the point being, uh, Fashing, has, who, who skated in Clutterbuck's spot in the two games with Casey Sezikis, uh, and Matt Martin, he's been in the upper echelon of most effective and most competent Islander forwards on the ice, certainly against the Blues. And he, he was pretty good against Chicago uh, in that win. And yes, yes, he's a he's a journeyman. He's been up and down between the NHL and the AHL with both the Sabres and the Coyotes. I, I'm just saying it shouldn't be fashing out of the lineup as a knee-jerk reaction. There there are other candidates. Uh, Anthony Beauvillier had a very rough game against the Blues. Um, thinking back, I, I think he had back-to-back icings in one sequence, a giveaway or two that led to chances. Josh Bailey still isn't producing much uh, offensively. Anders Lee, who was a, a minus three against the Blues, isn't playing to the ceiling that we have seen him be able to play to. 
Simon Holmstrom is is looking more confident on the ice. The former first rounder is starting to look for a shot a little bit, though that's still maybe a little bit tentative. It's not enough. He he does have three shots in his last two games. Those are the first three shots on net of his NHL career. I'm just saying that Lane Lambert has options beyond the obvious uh, whenever Cal Clutterbuck and Kyle Palmieri are ready to return. And the upcoming schedule is a bear for the Islanders, uh, who, by the way, have slipped to fourth in the Metro division and are, are still, they are still barely holding on to a playoff spot as we speak. Um, I mentioned the Devils on Friday. That starts a back-to-back uh, Friday and Saturday. The second place Carolina Hurricanes are in town on Saturday. And then a five-game road trip starts on Tuesday in Boston against the Atlantic Division-leading Bruins. Uh, they have been amongst the NHL's elite, just like the Devils have been since the start of the season. The, the trip also includes stops in Vegas, where the Golden Knights are having a very, very strong bounce-back season under former Bruins coach Bruce Cassidy. There's also a stop in Colorado on the trip uh, to, 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 to face the defending Stanley Cup champion Avalanche. And oh, by the way, uh, uh, the Islanders go to Arizona, and Arizona came to UBS Arena and beat the Islanders. So certainly not an easy trip at all. And again, with a little recency bias, but if if the Islanders don't reverse their recent trend of subpar games, they could easily slip in the standings and be out of a playoff spot before Christmas, maybe well before Christmas. And look, as we've been saying since the moment Lou Lamarillo fired Barry Trotz, this season is a referendum on where Lou is guiding this franchise. The, the trade deadline is not until March 3rd, but if the Islanders continue their recent 500 or worse play, Lou probably will not be able to afford to wait uh, that long. And, and that's, you know, uh, before I'm talking about the March 3rd trade deadline, of course. And that, that's not even, you know, knowing where we're going with, uh, you know, how how severe Adam Pellick may or may not have been injured. Um, even with the Pellick injury, the, the Islanders' priority has to be, it just has to be acquiring scoring help, preferably scoring help for Matthew Barzell, because you really don't want to see uh, the, the productive Barzell, most likely an all-star uh, this season, the, the the productive, fine season that Barzell is having go to waste. Barzell has 25 assists in 27 games. He might have 10 more assists if he had better better finishers around him. You, you can see Oliver Wallstrom is maturing. His two-way game is getting better. He still needs to be uh, snapping in a few more goals. Neither Bailey nor Zach Parisi who, by the way, is having one of the better seasons among the Islanders' forwards, not named Matthew Barzell. So neither Bailey, nor Parisi, nor, nor Lee um, have proven to be the best, or, uh, the best or a long-term solution on Barzell's left wing. And, and I'll give credit here to my friend and competitor, Ethan Sears, of the New York Post, who directly asked Matthew Barzell about Chicago's Patrick Kane. 
uh, who may or may not get traded this season and who is an impending unrestricted free agent. And at the time, I was at the next locker stall chatting with Zach Parisi, but you could see Matt Barzell nearly jump out of his skin with excitement at the prospect of possibly playing on a line with Patrick Kane. Uh, look, it doesn't take a genius to say I, I, I think those two could create some really good magic together. But but Patrick Kane can control where he gets traded and if he wants to get traded. And, and just like the Rangers, who have been much more strongly linked to Kane, the Islanders have to show that they are a legitimate Stanley Cup contender for Patrick Kane to want to come to New York. And right now, I'm not so sure how attractive either the Islanders or the Rangers uh, might be to a Patrick Kane. Uh, look, the Islanders, as we've alluded to and said, the, the Islanders and Lou Lamarillo clearly have work to do. And I, I think that judgment goes beyond recent, uh, you know, just the, the recency bias. Uh, I think that's, it's kind of clear if you that the, this Islanders roster, as currently constituted, is probably not the roster that you want to be going, you know, March and April into the playoffs with. It, it needs bolstering. It needs more more scores in the lineup, uh, quite frankly. But hey, at least the Islanders are going to look. Uh, a little bit different starting Saturday against the Hurricanes at UBS Arena. And as I mentioned at the start of the uh, episode, I had a decent-sized chat with Adidas Hockey Senior Director Dan Neer and Adidas Hockey Design Director Maddie Merrill. And as you'll hear sprinkled throughout the course of the conversation, getting Lou Lamarillo, who has never been a fan of alternate jerseys, on board with this project was probably one of the bigger tasks. But uh, before going there, I started in, in the most logical spot, which to me was this. The Fisherman logo to Islanders fans of a certain age is a decidedly negative, divisive moment in history that many would like to forget. Yet for Islanders, uh, say of a younger age, there's a there's a retro coolness to the fishermen, so I, I wondered to uh, Dan Neer and Maddie Merrill of Adidas Hockey. I, I wondered how that all balanced in as Adidas Hockey began to think about what the Islanders' reverse retro jersey should look like. Now, the the first voice you'll hear is Adidas Hockey senior director Dan Neer, and then uh, he he brings in. Uh, the second voice being Adidas Hockey Design Director, Maddie Merrill. If, if I could just start, you know, the, the genesis of doing it with, with the Fisherman logo. It's become kind of retro cool amongst Islander fans of a certain age. And then there are Islander fans of another age who, you know, the association wasn't great. So how, how much debate was there over, over using the Fisherman logo? jersey for 
minimum of three years. They're wearing it 10 to 15 times a season. It becomes part of their brand, and uh, there's a level of permanence to it. Right. Um, whereas when you think about what Reverse Retro was, when we first unveiled it the first time around in 2020, um, your colors, your retros remixed, it was an opportunity to take some of what fans loved about the history of their team, but to present it in a way, presumably, that's either never been seen before or a mashup, so to speak, that would get them hopefully excited. But it did involve a level of risk-taking. It involved um, a little bit of, hey, it's okay if some people feel alienated by this. It's okay if some people didn't necessarily love the players on the team in a certain era. It's okay if, um, if they didn't win every game when they wore these colors or these pieces of identity and so on and so forth. And so the first time around, um, you know, we were just happy that everybody participated. But the second time, I think we went in there with perhaps a little bit more ambitious approach and like, hey, what does success look like? Well, success looks like every club in the league finishing the project and feeling like they had won reverse retro. And so th- that's kind of the tee up to it, Andrew. And mm-hmm. Maddie, I think, should elaborate on, hey, what did we present and why did we present it? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the, you look at that first round of reverse retros, and the one, the uniforms that got talked about the most were the boldest, the the most daring, and the most, uh, I don't know, kind of out there uh, versions. And so many teams around the league looked into their canon of uniform histories and realized they had one of those gems, and that next time around, they're, you know, by golf, they're going to figure out how to get it out there. Um, but not all the teams could pull it off, and that's because these uniforms, much like Fisherman is probably a number one, they're polarizing, right? Right. Um, like you said, I, I, I think you said something about how uh, it, the per- perception is turning sort of slowly. Oh. Like, oh, absolutely. I mean, you go to the arena and you see, you know, now a ton of Fisherman jerseys, you know, even like the Islanders' social media crew, you know, they're walking around with Fisherman backpacks. It's... You know, it's 20, 25 years later, and whatever happened in 95, 96, there's a new generation who didn't live through that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's, that's exactly right. Um, and we saw, we for sure saw that too. You know, we would go to the Islanders team store, follow them on social, and we'd see that ID, the Fisherman ID popping up. You know, almost every year it seemed like. It would it would sort of come back. They'd do a backpack collab, or they'd they'd be offering T-shirts. And there's really, I mean, I can only think of two other uh, NHL franchises where the uniforms really haven't existed for two or three decades, but people still buy them. Um, that's the Whalers and the Nordiques, right? Yeah, and yeah. You look, those were two jerseys that like won Reverse Retro the first time around. And so seeing that the Fisherman was one of these IDs that has this retail life, this fan love life, that st- even though it hasn't been worn in more than more a generation, like really two, two generations, three generations of players, um, like it still had this demand for like, well, this, we all knew, NHL, the team, and Adidas, we all knew that we wanted to try and get this one done. We literally called it the, the white whale. <laughs> and, and we were working Working in all these jerseys, we're like, well, this one is a white whale, and this one is a white whale, and like the Islanders 
fisherman jersey was like, this is a white whale, we're going to go Ahab on this and like figure out how to get it done. And then it was about unraveling um, with the team, very much working with the team, unraveling, uh, okay, we want to do this, how? How can we do it in a way that's, um, the, love, the lovers are going to love it, but can we bring in some of the haters too? And how would we, because there's lovers and haters for sure, how can we actually span that? And reverse retro is actually a concept that's built to do that in a way, because you've got these wild jerseys, but then you're remixing the colors. Um, and a lot of times the you can, re, like adding the, the Islanders sort of more modern current ID colorway was a must. Yeah. Didn't show us. We really only showed this one jersey, the Fisherman jersey, through the whole process with the Islanders. Usually we show like three or four options, but this, in this case we all knew this is what we wanted to do, so this was the only one. But we ended up showing, like probably creating dozens and dozens of options. Um, the one thing that was consistent throughout was they all incorporated elements of the modern ID. And so that's like the first big step to how, like maybe we can do this in a way where the lovers still see it and know it's the fishermen and like it. Um, and the haters are like, oh, I you know, it's better this time around. Yeah. Well, no, no, I was, my, I mean, you answered my next question because when I look at it, you know, it's, it's a toned down version, right? The, the, the waves are gone. The teal for the most part, except for one little area is gone. And, you know, if they had done that probably in the nineties, that uniform might have caught on. I, I, you know, to, to, to some, to some respect, I actually think it, it's not so much the logo. It was, all the other craziness on the jersey that really turned people off. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was, uh, and so that was the, I, I was looking through in preparation for this, I was looking through the decks, I think we had like nine different decks that we presented to the Islanders, um, but uh, across all those uniforms, it's really just like very subtle differences, um, and there's some that we, we wanted to, as much as we could, we wanted to follow the formula of reverse retro. We're going to take one of your old jerseys, remix the colors, and then launch this new thing. Um, so we wanted to be respectful of that, and so we, we found ways to, uh, to make it more palatable overall. Uh, by, for example, um, it's not really based on the on-ice jersey. Mm-hmm. It's based on... The, the prototype jersey that the players wore at the launch of that ID. And the prototype jersey, it, the waves are not nearly as crazy. Um, it was much, so the stripes actually, that was a great and easy way to tone down the stripes. Once we had that done, then the old number font, it was just way too wild. It didn't match. So then yeah. now we gotta, okay, now we gotta switch. We gotta match, uh, create a new ID that's not so groovy, um, and not so, I don't, I don't know, kind of conjures a little bit of seasickness when you look at it. Yeah. Especially the players, it was curving and and getting bigger, tapering. It was like, yeah. I don't know, what everything you could do in, in a Photoshop, uh, like text filter, they were applying it. Mm. So taming the player name, pl- taming the player number, using those more tame strikes. Um, and then there was other parts that, frankly, we were, we were worried about performance uh, consistency. You know, almost all, uh, uh, the, there's a lot of sh- 
jerseys in the old day were like basically a straight T. Mm-hmm. A rectangle that was the body, yeah. two sleeves that went out direct, like straight up 90 degree angle. Beep, they yeah. shoot straight out. Now the jersey sleeves are shaped. Uh, most of the time, players' arms are bent, and so the sleeves are curved, or we call it like uh, four motion. They're, they're shaped to the player's pose. And the yoke is built to sit perfectly on a, a set of pads. Um, according to the player's side, size, so that weird wavy yoke, like we were actually worried that wouldn't sit right and it wouldn't look good and maybe might even hinder performance, so we'll get rid of that. Um, and all these things come together to actually, I think, hopefully span that divide between the lovers and the haters. What um, What is the timeline from, you know, first germination, you know you want to do something with the fishermen, to getting final approval from the Islanders, you know, from John Ledecky, Scott Malkin, and putting in production and actually seeing the first, you know, the first ones roll off the, the sewing machine. How how long a process is that? The, the short answer is about a year and a half. Reverse Retro is, um, it's a franchise. It's, uh, and that's what, I mean, that's what Adidas does. We build franchises, whether it's Superstar or NMD or, we build these things and then you, you can iterate on top of them. Um, it's part of our business model. So, but it has a positioning. It's, just, it's similar. Winter Classic is about old school. Stadium Series is about new school. Mm-hmm. And Reverse Retro is this really effective formula that's, uh, you know, Adidas figured out. The hockey consumer loves retro, but they also want some newness. How do we do that? Okay, Reverse Retro. Um, so when, with reverse retro, we go to the teams with those three options, maybe four in, in some cases, and that's it. Most of the time, we get it in the first first, first try, or within we tweak a little bit after that. Yeah. Third is a lot longer. Uh, yeah. That's uh, what what do you want to do, team? Yeah. What kind of consumer do you want to address? Yeah. That can take years and years, or maybe maybe even you're developing new materials and new things. So it's different depending on the project. Well, I was going to, and look, I've known Lou Lamarillo for a long, long time, right? And when the reverse retros first came out, it basically looked like the Islanders' home blues. I, I don't know how much you can speak to it, but how much convincing did you have to do, you know, specifically with Lou, because I, I know his take on alternate jerseys. He's never been a fan of them. You know, how much convincing did Lou need to, to get to this point? Well, there's a guy named Nick Pezzatello. Do you know Nick? Uh, who works in the organization. Yeah. Uh, under, under Mr. Ledecky and Mr. Malkin. Sure. That works kind of as a liaison in a process like this. And he, he's a smart guy. Yeah. He, uh, he was... He did a lot of social listening the first time around. Yeah. And he came to us and he said, Hey, um, we want to be a part of this. We want to do it right. We want the fans to get what they want. Yeah. Uh, but it's going to be a process. And I think it's fair to say, even this one, were they one of the very last ones we finalized? Like yeah. one of the most iterations, one of the last ones to finalize because the process is sacred. Um, you know, um, what hockey players wear on the ice is important to Islanders leadership. Yeah. It's important to everybody, but the Islanders are well known. Um, for this leadership is well known for that, and we appreciate um, that level of rigor. Um, 
And at the end of the day, we got there, and we got there with something that we think they're super proud of. Like, they did a really good job at decking out the store. We weren't mm-hmm. there, unfortunately. But, it, you know, it wasn't just guys wearing it on the ice. It wasn't just social marketing materials. Yeah. It was the team leaning in and saying, hey, the fisherman's back, and we're going to create a whole environment around the fisherman for this period of time. Yeah. And it takes that collaboration, that involvement, not unlike the Vegas Golden Knights preparing the neon light yeah. to do the glow-in-the-dark thing. When you start to put all those puzzle pieces together, that's yeah. when something like this wins and when it's successful, you know? What is this week like for you guys? You know, they're going to roll it out on Saturday. You know what the product is. The fans know what the product is. But what's this week like for you before that, that first game that they actually wear it? Well, we should both answer this. Um, you know, there's um, we get to do this 32 times, yeah. right? And so there's this level of building anticipation. The number of people, Andrew, that touch these jerseys along the way, from customer service to manufacturing to supply chain to legal, like there are a lot of people that work on this along the way. And to try and truncate a 32-team initiative into a condensed period of time, people are, are stretched. And so the anticipation of these things coming on the ice, whether it's Reverse Retro or another project like Winter Classic, we're watching intently. And our hope and expectation is that on the other end of things, like our hands are up. We've we've lost control of the steering wheel, (laughs) and now it's up to the clubs, uh, and it's up to the players. By the way, you can imagine this. You've worked in hockey a long time. Winning, wearing the new jersey, is surprisingly critical as it relates to the superstition side. The yeah. Oh, I know. Line. I know. <laughs> oh, we lost our first game in reverse retro. We, we can't be wearing these things again and, and vice versa. We get hot and suddenly people want to wear them in the playoffs. We're like, no, 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 that wasn't part of the plan. So, uh, it, 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 there are, we're watching it intently, Maddie. Yeah, for sure. Um, and all that, all that stuff that Dan said, uh, plus a couple other things. The, I mean, uh, even if the team has done promo shots of the full uniform together, it still never equals the actual on ice in game effect of these things. Yeah. And there's something, and I, I don't know if I can even put my finger on exactly what it is, but um, there's something about seeing it in game that really is like the that's the final review. Right. You've seen seen this jersey in so many different ways: drawing stage, sample stage, on a fit model, in a photo shoot. But it doesn't actually really come alive until it's in-game action. The goalie's got the pads on. The, you know, maybe there's even gear on the on the on the bench. So that's like that's when it really all comes alive. Uh, and then the other, I mean, the other thing that's added on top this time around that uh, I think really taking it to the next level is there's a bunch of matchups. And so you're seeing reverse retro versus reverse right. retro, and that is uh, yet again really helps sort of. Uh, it almost, you know, you get sort of put in that time machine and get to see sort of this historic matchup that's never existed in, in history. So, from a marketing standpoint, what's the timetable after the rollout when you can, you know, adequately judge whether this is a hit or, you know, it it, it might be back to the drawing board time. You know, um, there's a lot of different ways to measure it. One of the things that we sought out to do is create one of the most talked about 
pro-sports jersey initiatives of all time, regardless of the sport. And to me, um, you know, we're not going to go and do an unaided awareness study, Andrew, on, uh, on the phrase reverse retro. But you know this because you're around. Everybody knows what it is. Yeah. Um, you know, the way that uniform lunches typically work is there's buzz and energy around the unveil and the first wear, but then they're never talked about again. It might get a casual mention, oh, the New York Islanders are wearing their third jersey tonight. But the sustained conversation um, with the teams wearing it, you know, anywhere from two to maybe eight times, it's, it's kind of on every night right now, and it's attracting attention and conversation. And I think that's a big accomplishment of, of this initiative, that it, it isn't just something that shows up on the ice and in the team shop. Reverse Retro is something that has this uh, sustained conversation that has brought hockey into the forefront for a reason it wouldn't normally be in the forefront. Like, people talking about the jerseys that NHL teams are wearing, yeah, because, like, it's crazy. The Florida Panthers jersey, you, you know, who would ever be talking about the Florida Panthers outside of Panthers fans? And they put on this jersey, and people are like, whoa, that's really cool. I've never seen anything like that. It it's, it's hopefully speaks to the contribution we're having on the sport, and it's bringing innovation creativity in a way that, um, you know, is uh, opening people's eyes to what hockey could do. Hey, taking taking the, the fishermen out of this, right? I know you have 32 babies out there, and, you know, every baby is special. But, like, are, are there some designs that, you know, just really pop for you guys in a way? You know, like, for me personally, when I saw the Minnesota Wild one, you know, that one, I was like, oh, that's perfect. Or, or you know, the obviously the Colorado Avalanche, you get some Quebec Nordiques, and then... Like, I love the San Jose Sharks bringing back the California Golden Seals. Is there any, like, in your minds that you're, you know, you just, you love that design? So, um, you know, I think there's something special about the New Jersey Devils effort. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of interesting history to that franchise. They just had their first third jersey last year, and yeah. so they've historically operated pretty conservatively. I know you know that be well. Um, yeah. The, you know, bringing back that Rockies slash Scouts um, era is something that I think is unexpected. It's complimentary and special for their fans. And the second one, I would say, is Pooh Bear in Boston. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. another example that, like, there's a constituency, or a, con- a constituency of uh, fans who really dislike that uh and I think it took a lot of courage by the team to be like, yeah, we're going to go with this, and we're going to wear it proudly. And um, not unlike what they did uh, when they played in the outdoor game in Las Vegas, when they all showed up at the game wearing those retro clothes yeah. and glasses and everything, I feel like the team has embraced it uh, and um, and said we're going to be proud of this. And um, you know, you see that from a lot of clubs right now, but I think those two, those two markets stand out to me as uh, as being ones that I'm proud of that uh, I think we've had a lot of fun with. Yeah, and I mean, uh, so my personal favorite is, is Seattle, but that's because I'm, a, I'm from Seattle. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I just love that, the ice blue color. And so more of that on ice is, is big for me. 
Um, but I, I'll double what Dan is saying is that like there are cer- certain reverse retro jerseys that um, you just really couldn't imagine those jerseys ever making it back onto pro ice in any other context. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pooh Bear is one of those. Fisherman is one of those. I mean, sure, maybe like uh, some beer league is going to lampoon this, or maybe it's a free game jersey. But like, it, it really would be hard. Or the Kachina jersey. I mean, it'd be hard to imagine those uniforms making it on ice um, in the in the modern era. And so, uh, seeing those long shots actually get their their day in the sun again is awesome. And I mean, also some of them. Um, getting Pooh done was actually surprisingly easy, but getting the fisherman done, that was a battle. And, and I'll, you know, I don't know if it's too much to say, but uh, to, con- to uh, confess that this is not the first time we tried to get the Islanders to do the fisherman again, right? We right. knew that it had this marketability. Um, so to actually get it through um, and get it done was uh, a feat. And that brought its own sense of accomplishment. I'll throw what you asked about Lou, and I'll, I'll say that, like, 32 teams is a lot. So these decks, uh, they were all the same except for the uniforms um, and maybe some of the inspirational imagery. Well, the Islanders deck was a little bit different. It was really, there were loose slides and special slides that were really designed for him and his eyes alone that um, we just wanted to get this done so much that we knew we had to go the extra mile. And, and, and we worked with the team, honestly, to build those. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, we, uh, a lot of times, the, the way we, the nomenclature for these designs is option one, two, three, four. And then if a team likes number four, say, then they'll, they'll ask, can you do this? Can you do that? And then those, those journey unis would be number four, uh, 0.1, 4.2, 4.3. Um, and then if there's a, an iteration of one of those iterations, then we add a, a letter on. So it'd be one point four point four A, four point four B. I think the one that we got approved for Islanders was like seven point point four C. And there were just like little tiny little things uh, that all the way through. Like a lot of people wouldn't even notice that the S and the I in Islanders is dropped in the original. It was tall. We brought those down to line up with the rest of the letters. Um, the fisherman's coat changed a little bit. The stripe shape, like so many little tiny things mm-hmm. that uh, it was just a fine exercise in fine tuning. But getting that that puck across the line uh, was worth it. Yeah, no, I'm certainly looking forward to uh, Saturday and seeing how it, it shows up on the ice. Hey guys, listen, I, I really appreciate you taking some, some time with this and, uh, you know, answering my questions here. Uh, and, and, you know, I wish you all the best, uh, you know, with your future endeavors here. So thanks again to Adidas Hockey Senior Director Dan Neer and Adidas Hockey Design Director Maddie Merrill for all their time. Stick taps to all of you for listening to this episode of Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. And please find all of Newsday's Islanders content at newsday.com backslash aisles. Please don't forget Newsday TV. And you can find me, Andrew Gross, on Twitter at A Gross Newsday. And until the next episode, happy hockey, everybody.